Music's making me want to start winding down for the evening, but instead we're going to wind it up because um, this is a very special opportunity for us all to come together um, in the context of an amazing production that's been brought to our Bundjalung region um, with the support of NORPA uh, and many others. And I'm sure um, we can all agree that um, the buzz around uh, this production and what it means for our performing arts space and the Indigenous arts space uh, is quite special. Um, my name is Naomi Moran. Um, a bit about myself, I'm the CEO of the Koori Mail, which is housed in this beautiful building. Um, and you are now sitting in the newly renovated flood space of um, 2022, post-flood, um, to which we are very excited to, hopefully before the end of the year, if not certainly at the start of the year, um, launch this as a very special community hub space. Um, for all of our community, um, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous people who want to walk into a culturally safe space in our community and bring whatever it is you want to celebrate and share um, and do to support our community across uh, any sector. We see this as uh, a home for everybody, just as much as um, our staff see this as a home for them upstairs putting the paper together every fortnight. Um, I'm also co-chair of First Nations Media Australia, which is a peak body of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, media around our nation, and um, this year joined the federal government's um, First Nations Digital Inclusion Advisory Group, which focuses on closing the, the digital um, gap that exists in our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, and some of those reports already, um, our communities, over 600 of our most remote outstations and homelands are still without digital connectivity, meaning they're still um, not having that equal access to um, daily communications through that connectivity, but certainly the ability to share our stories and culture um, through connectivity, whether it be online or having um, you know, a media presence um, in those communities. So there's a lot of work to be done in that space and as you can tell I'm very passionate about media and certainly the arts. Um, I sit on the uh, NORPA board and also the Arts Northern Rivers board um, as well. So um, I'm really passionate to be here. Forgive me um, if I look very tired because I likely am. I've just come back from Canberra today after a week long of um, media conference for our First Nations media, but I wouldn't have missed this for the world because I certainly value the contributions of everybody on this panel and certainly value the work of NORPA and everybody that has contributed to, um, I guess, what we're going to discuss tonight. Um, so just a bit of an overview. Um, firstly, though, I'd like to acknowledge that we are on the lands of the Widjibal Wyabal people, and though I'm not a Widjibal Wyabal person, um, I certainly want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of these lands, their elders, um, those that are past, those that are still with us, certainly their families and communities, and I know um, some of you here who do identify with um, the traditional, uh, traditional lands um, of the Widjibal Wyabal people, including my brother boy up the back there, Ash. Um, on his father's side, uh, we're related, so we're nine ball people um, from Cabbage Tree Island and Balna, um, but on his mother's side, he's a, he's a Wijibal Wyabal man, so certainly bring our respects um, to his family and his community. Um, I'd like to acknowledge certainly other Indigenous people that are in the room tonight as well. Um, flow, as you may know, um, 
is something really special. Um, it's told through dance, poetry, video production um, and rap. Uh, Flow is a yarn about Yagel country and its neighbouring nations, inspired by the first native title claim on a body of water. It's a tale of a man's search to discover more about his story and our region's shared history. And Yagel Bundjalung man Mitch King is joined on stage through this production by sound artist Blake Rhodes, who, you know, I knew these fellas kind of growing up. I remember Blake as a, as a young fella, and it certainly makes me feel quite old. Um, directed by Jay Dewey Tyers Thungal, and together they journey to find identity in music, urban culture and nature, guided by the voices of elders, custodians and young people, and they explore the lively traditions held in local ancestral lands and discover the cultural significance of the waters that flow through our region. I flew in today from Canberra, and I purposely, when I'm flying back home, sit on the right-hand side of the plane. Because on the right-hand side of the plane, and I usually try and get the wing seat, I don't know why it makes me feel a bit safe, um, I look down because I can see the lands below me and those significant traditional lands like uh, Evans Head, Gwena Headland, um, certainly fly over um, the lands of the Yagel people. And today, um, I had a really clear snapshot and was able to take some photos of Cabbage Tree Island and to look below and just see how sacred and special those lands are and certainly to our people who are continuing to fight to return to those homelands. So stories about our ancestral lands are so significant and so important to then create creative spaces, cultural spaces where we continue to share those stories because um, you can't even imagine the layers and the depths of knowledge and stories that come out of country. And we've only kind of heard you know, um, the surface of those, you know, the depths of that is so special and we hope that we can continue to support our arts sector to make sure that we're really digging deep into that knowledge and those stories for the next generations. So Norpa is proudly presenting Flow as a, as a free outdoor event held in, in two locations, the, the river over at the McLean Showground, um, which I heard was uh, an amazing launch into the production and certainly here in the heart of Lismore um, at the Quad. And the evening will also feature pre-show guest performance um, by local musicians. In terms of flow and the engagement program, and apologies if I'm dragging on here, but this is really important information to understand the context um, because I think we certainly can appreciate then how we can invite others into the conversation to support the work that's being done. In the support of the Flow performance, audiences are invited to take part in a series of free workshops. So this isn't just about a performance at the showground or the quad, this is actually about a program of activities that can support um, Flow um, and the stories that come out of that performance. Um, so talks and activities like tonight and taking a deeper look into the themes of Flow and encouraging deep listening and learning. And myself personally, I'm a big fan of deep listening and learning. We've got some amazing um, panellists that are joining us tonight. Before I introduce 
um, them as well. Um, the context of tonight will be a few questions and some really informal conversations. So we try not to make it so formal and just a bit of a yarn session. So I certainly encourage you all to engage with listening. And then at the end, um, perhaps we could have some questions if you'd like to do that as well as a bit of a, a, bit of a wrap up. Um, I'd like to acknowledge though that support um, for the production as well with um, the various uh, sponsors and supporters. And we'll do that at the end as well and certainly encourage everybody to take that away. Have conversations with other people that might be interested in investing and supporting our arts here on the Northern Rivers and um, certainly having those conversations with Northborough about what's next. Our panellists tonight, I'm very excited that some of the panellists here tonight, um, I. I know personally, um, I'm related to, I work with, um, but certainly very much um, respect just their existence. Um, and then when we take a deep dive into their incredible um, legacies already of their work, I think um, we're really lucky to have these panellists in our community and certainly part of the creative and performing arts space in our region. Next to me on my left, and I might just go down the line after I introduce them by name and perhaps they can just share a bit of personally about um, themselves. Uh, Kirk Page, who's a theatre maker, director, choreographer, everything in between because I've seen it all. And we have the privilege of him being a writer for the Courier Mail as well. And this is somebody who said, well, I can't write in the context of a newspaper. Um, but the wealth of, of knowledge of our arts sector, the things that he's passionate about and those stories, um, for him to be able to now um, communicate that in a way where it is journalism and writing is really special. So thank you for being here and I'll come back down the line in a second. Thank yes. <laughs> um, we have Jeanti St. Clair, who is a researcher um, from Southern Cross University, um, who is certainly instrumental in supporting initiatives and um, productions um, like these in our community. So thank you very much for being here and for your support through the university as well. And Penny Evans, who's um, one of our most beloved visual artists in this region. And again, um, I think feel that we're very uh, privileged and lucky to, to have Penny on the panel um, and, and certainly, um, I guess, have an insight into who you are as an artist um, over the many years has been um, really special and I think um, we're all learning from each other in, in really special ways. And Kylie Cordwell who's my sister-in-law. Um, I didn't grow up with brothers, um, but Ash and I, our parents are siblings. And um, so Ash and his brothers were like my brothers growing up. We're cousins, but you know what it's like with blackfellas, we claim each other as brother and sister. But um, I'm really privileged to have that close connection, not only with Ash as my brother, but certainly Kylie as my sister, and be in complete awe of her incredible journey as a visual artist and how she interprets bunch long stories as well in this region so um, I could you know sit here all night and, and talk about our panellists but they're here to talk about something else aren't they um, so I'll go down the line maybe we'll start with you Kirk just a brief um, more personal introduction into who you are and I guess a bit of context around um, your support um, for flow and the production and the journey that that has been on because I know it's been quite a lengthy one for you 
Thanks, Naomi. Uh, I'd also like to acknowledge the uh, traditional owners of uh, the country that we're all gathered on today, the unceded lands of the Wijibal Wobal. Um, I am a Malanjali person from southeast Queensland with uh, ancestral ties to Zenith Kess, which is in the Torres Strait Islands, and also German and Polish uh, connections as well through my mum. And I've spent the last 30 years as a performer, mainly as a physical performer, a dancer and an actor, a singer, and just recently sort of writing, um, directing and uh, working with young people and essentially making shows that are devised from story, um, building those from the ground up. And I came to Lismore in 2017 uh, to be the associate director at the Northern Rivers Performing Arts, and I was introduced to a lot of... Uh, knowledge holders here in the area, language keepers, and I was engaged in a story that I was directing that was a creation story from this place. And so I had a really incredible experience working on that production. It was called Jura. And then a couple of years later, I had worked with Mitch King with the flow team in the initial stages of putting the story together. Um, and yeah, I've lived here for five years and I love, I love being here, it's really great, it's such a great place to live and to be a creative and yeah, it's, I'm, I feel really privileged. Uh, firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the beautiful country we sit on this evening and how grateful I am to have lived here on Wijibal Wyobal lands for the last 15 years. I, um, I think I'm here as a researcher from Southern Cross University, but a lot of the research I do is practice-based and it's art-based research and it's largely story-based work. One of my huge passions is uh, using audio to capture stories, but to do it in a way that makes them very closely connected up with place. And I use um, geolocation technology, usually through an app, to create an audio walk, which allows people to walk through country and to listen to stories while they're there, with meaningful stories that appear at the meaningful places, so the context is always really connected to country and to to narrative. So that um, that and the, uh, the I guess that the work I do requires a deep engagement, a close listening to the stories. And I think I think we saw that what watching Flo last night in the quad, watching it outside in the close to country, sitting on the ground, it felt way really different to how it had been in the theatre. It felt really kind of darker in a way. I could really feel the country um, in seeing it last night. And that there's this thing about being actually on the country where the stories are from that can make them so powerful. Um, so that's a lot of my focus and I think it connects up well, I think, with a lot of the themes we might talk about tonight. Hello. Yeah, that's on. Oh yeah, hi, um, yeah, I'm Penny. Um, 
Yeah, I'd like to um, pay my respects to the traditional owners of Widjibawaiable country and um, I've, I moved here in 2002 so I've been here for about 21 years and I'm very grateful that I chose to come here. Um, I've had my two kids here, I've got a 17 and 18 year old boys who have grown up and gone to school here and I've continued my art practice up here. I was practicing in Sydney moved up here basically for um, healing and which it's been has been very healing i've spent a lot of time on country like in yagel country and up and down the coast and just lapping it up and loving it and i've also this has also been a base for me to go back to my country which is gomeroy country my ancestral country and there's, there's big river networks out over the hills as well and so yeah going out to mungandai Burmigra. Bogabilla, those sort of areas, and reconnecting with my mob and country out there, and you know, learning a lot out there. So yeah, I've been on a big decolonising journey, and you know, and my work is very much about that, and healing, and truth telling, and it's becoming more and more about truth telling, like as I'm working at the moment. Yeah. Dingila, I just also like to well, clear my throat, but <coughs> uh, acknowledge that um, Wijibawaiwal Jagan. Also acknowledge um, my ancestors, my elders, my community, and also acknowledge you all here for coming. Um, I was just thinking about what's my story? Bloody hell. <laughs> me, what's me? I feel like um, I probably, as a visual artist, I've emerged probably about 10 years ago, um, but always been creative um, and you know grew up with story and country from my aunties and uncles. You know, we would always sit around in the lounge late at night and they'd tell yarns and, you know, all those kids would be quiet, drinking their cup of tea. So it's, you know, I grew up with story and being on country. Um, I really love the creative process and the collaborative process of story and some of, most of my work in my, I do weave, I do, I've just re been on a reclaiming weaving journey with a group of women. Um, also, I do uh, ceramics and some painting. Uh, I do a tad bit of writing. Um, so I'm kind of feel like I'm still emerging from what is whatever it is, and my story still growing. And um, but I also like the journey of um, doing that with community and learning with and from community and in the stories that I do, whether it's either visual or writing or making sculptures, that it's about me or it's about my community or it's about what I've learnt, and I think that's really important. Thank you um, for sharing those introductions and certainly touching on some really personal points about why you're here and the work that you do and why you're so passionate about it. And I just briefly want to come back to what Penny said around the truth-telling, um, your personal experience um, through that and how you interpret that through those stories and um, through those creative processes. And um, I just wanted to pull a, a, a quote from um, our week um, this week um, by Minister Rowlands, um, who's the Minister for Communications. Um, and in the context of Indigenous media, um, what she had said around recognising the important role that Indigenous media plays in truth-telling. 
that it's about representation and it is absolutely about reconciliation. And when we consider how closely connected and associated um, media is with our arts sector in supporting the platforms for our stories to be told um, you know, from the ground up by our communities, it's really important that we do place value on how those two sectors support each other. And I think um, also, you know, while the majority of this nation has certainly shown um, an inability to navigate a recent national conversation maturely to acknowledge the wrongs and, and, and right the past, it's certainly um, this sector where these stories come from that has never stopped and we know won't stop doing the work to ensure that the voices of our people are being heard across all platforms of storytelling. So it's really important that we do continue to drive and empower our arts sector. And, um, you know, she's about to get on her soapbox here. But it's also about the government's making substantial commitments to make sure that there's heavy dollars being invested in our arts sector, whether it's on the Northern Rivers or around the nation, um, so that we can carry on in what we know is our cultural responsibility um, to keep giving voice to our people through those stories. Um, I wanted to come back to a bit of the framing around um, the conversation, probably for the next half an hour or so, around how can different forms of art and performance support us to keep our stories and our oral histories living, to stay connected to our past and inform our future. And certainly as our First Nations creatives and researchers working in the space of art and stories, um, to talk about the power of storytelling in that future-proofing for First Nations knowledges um, and certainly have conversations around what they, that looks like, um, you know, for our uh, individuals in that space as First Nations people, but certainly our allies in that space as well. Um, so what I'm going to do is just go through some of these questions that I've been so kindly briefed about. But if anybody knows me, um, it is just about yarning and making us feel really comfortable in this space to receive it in that way. Um, so some of the things that I, uh, I think we can consider tonight is in the process of creating and making, how important is, and some of you have touched on this already, but how important is storytelling and sharing knowledge? And I guess, how is your medium in how you put out that story, those stories and, and those knowledge and, and languages and, and learnings from those that have come before us in our community? How important is your medium to support or enable this? Sorry, so you two got to share that microphone. <laughs> <laughs> this is oh, mine. <laughs> and so hearing the question made me think, as First Nations people, culturally, we have told stories, we have passed on artwork, we have danced, we have, this is a way for us to know who we are and to have that knowledge and to have that power as First Nations people. So that's kind of innately in who we are anyway. So there's something about that as a practice and not all of us have grown up with that because of policies and history and um, the way, you know, life goes. Um, but in terms of having stories and how that, uh, how do I use those stories to connect, it's actually a connection and a learning from a personal point of view mm -hmm. as well as sharing the stories 
so that we are understood, that we are seen, that, we, that people you know, understand who we are. And you know, it's, it feels like it's a, a way of sort of connecting to people uh, through the sharing of those stories, whether they're you know, positive stories or whether they're you know, creative stories. Um, but in the medium of, say, dance or uh, drama, I think the stories that I've been involved in have always been around, often they're about a lesson or they're about a passing on of knowledge. And often that's to an audience of, you know, 60-year-old subscribers. Um, <laughs> and so that is another way of how do you communicate on that level and still have them subscribing for the next season. But, um, <laughs> but honestly, when I'm thinking about it, I'm always trying to find a way. I've been very lucky to connect with... Um, you know, some really incredible um, knowledge holders, um, powerful people who are so knowledgeable and the generosity that has been um, in that sort of sharing of those stories. As a director or as a writer, I am always very aware of how precious that is and so I don't... There's a lot of thinking around how do I share the story but without giving it all away because there's got to be a certain amount of reciprocity Couldn't you just listen to him talk all... Which is why we tried to get him on Kurimao podcasts. <laughs> because you could listen to him talk all day. Um, and in the context of the work that you do, um, how does that then hold, hold space for that importance around those processes and that, that storytelling and knowledge? Yeah, some of the work I've done in the last three or four years has been around the, helping the community of Elismore to make sense of the floods that have come through... Um, I began with a set of 10 audio walks that all emanated out from the quad called uh, Lismore Flood Stories. Right. I sent people around town wearing bright yellow raincoats and gumboots as a way to make visible um, the conversations and the, and the stories that were being shared at that point in time, though, listening to, to stories on headphones. And uh, it was kind of uh, it was something I wanted it to be visible about, but I wasn't quite... I was, was quite amazed and pleased to see how many conversations it started. People running out of the pub for their, from their morning beer to say, why are you wearing gumboots and a raincoat? It's not raining. And they said, oh, we're doing a flood stories walk. And he said, oh, well, my flood stories. And those conversations just, just would never have happened. And the other, the other aspect would be people would come back and they would share their stories as well. And, they would come back and they do another story and another story. So they were really immersing themselves in that experience. But part of the, um, I think the benefit as well, and it started to turn my work from I, something I saw as a documentary and almost journalistic into work that became more around community healing and around what we call creative recovery work. As for the storytellers, uh, they were able to process some of their experiences that they had in those floods. And for some of them, they've been so busy being strong for others in their networks and their communities and their families that they actually hadn't processed a lot of the grief. So having those opportunities to tell their story and then to hear that story back and then to have conversations was really beneficial. And um, 
it got me thinking as well. There's this real tendency, I think, in um, Western n narrative documentary and story gathering to really centralise the, the journalist or the documentary maker. And I started to have a real aversion to taking on that role as journalists tend to call themselves storytellers and the, the audio storyteller, the really classic thing. And I really wanted to decenter the power in that space and to step right back and let those people whose stories they were really carry and really own those stories so that they were the storytellers. And I have been listening to a, um, a book by Brene Brown, who's an American shame researcher, a really interesting person who said everybody needs at least one or two story catchers in their lives, people that they can always tell their story to. And I wasn't claiming to be the story catcher for these people, but I began to realise that what I wanted to do, and it's a sort of decolonising process of, of how we do gather stories in our present day world, particularly with digital media and how easy it is to collect this, is to actually step back from that and to help... I, could catch people's stories for them, I could help craft them, I could shape them into a medium where we could bring them in a really hopefully embodied way to experience these stories without me sort of saying, yeah, I'm somehow the one that's, you know, the star here. And it's been really transformational for me. And um, yeah, it's probably, as a, on a personal level, it's one of the best outcomes that I've experienced in making work in several decades sharing that um, and you know Penny you talked uh, earlier about that journey of decolonizing and healing and how you then interpret that into the stories or what that's meant for you over the past 20 years or so um, how deep does that go though in how you then um, bring out um, that storytelling and knowledge in the mediums that you work with as an artist? Um, look, yeah, for me, it's, you know, it's been, as an artist, it's been mining myself, mining my family. Look, we didn't grow up with a lot of story. I didn't know jack shit about who we were or anything, you know, it wasn't talked about. And so it's been a slow unravelling and I've, a lot of family members were doing it independently and now we're all over time, you know, we've come together and, you know, so we've built up this story and, you know, and I understand my history here from my Gomorrah perspective through my mother's family and through my Irish-German perspective and our convict perspective. And, you know, the story of Australia is in my blood, like both sides. And, you know, and we have a pretty devastating historical story here for the early stages of colonisation and stuff. And, I mean, it's ongoing. It's an ongoing colonial situation. But the early stuff I'm really focused on at the moment and since the referendum, like, yeah, that just felt like a punch in the face and it was just revolting. And it's just sparked a whole new body of work for me. 
and it's in black and white. It's like the colour's gone out of it. I'm calling it in black and white. And I've just been throwing all these words and things that have been going around in my head for a long time around the, you know, what happened here in Australia. And, you know, and I've got a bit of a following on Instagram and Facebook and I share my, all my ceramic work really freely. I just put it out there and I love getting the response from people. And I've been getting heaps of response from Indigenous, non-Indigenous, everyone and it's just really interesting people really want to talk about this stuff but I'm really giving it back to you to set white settler colonial Australians like who are you what did your family do how do your family benefit you know just really throwing it straight back turning it around people like there's been a you know fragile, very fragile people, so I'm just naming it straight back, you know, this is white fragility, deal with it, I'm not dealing with it, it's not my problem, it's yours, and doing it in, but in a caring sort of way too, because I've built up a following over 12 years, and people, we sort of, it's interesting the relationship on social media I have as an artist, because I put myself out there so much, and I've got a great following, there's great people, I feel like I know them without knowing a lot of them, it's really, you know, we have a relationship. So all these stories are coming out, like sort of others, you know, from the frontier that, you know, like, you know, a white woman who, um, her, she's a descendant of people, her white descendants were speared at the Hornet Creek Massacre in Queensland or whatever, but just, and all these stories need to be told. They're, we carry them in our bodies, they're with us. We're all traumatised by it in one way or another and we all carry it intergenerationally. And, you know, if we don't, start talking about it. We, you know, as blackfellas too, we need the other side of the story. A lot of us know, like out on Gomeroy country, a lot, you know, there's all sorts of stories about the creeks being like red with blood and memories of, you know, massacres and aftermaths of massacres and what happened. And it was, it was pretty brutal. Like it was extremely brutal from what I can understand. And it needs to be brought up and brought out. So my real focus is in that level of storytelling about the reality of our frontiers and how that carries through and informs all of us today. So it's 20% of the population, apparently. I don't know if that's a true figure or not for descendants like, of, of the colonies that are here today that are, I don't know. Anyway, that's where my focus is. No, and that's incredible because um, when you then interpret that, the reality and the truth-telling in that visual way through the arts and whatever medium it is, and then when you're looking at it and then you're reading the story and you're learning the story and you're getting that knowledge, you cannot unsee it. And I think that's just how powerful the arts is, whether it's a performance on a stage, whether it's a piece of clay work, whether it's a beautiful piece of fabric that means something um, to you, Kylie, and the stories that you tell. Um, that's why it's, it's so important to continue to tell these stories in ways where people can receive it. And part of that truth-telling process is making sure that they can't unsee it. And that's where the change comes. What I really love and respect and just am fascinated about you as an artist, Kylie, sis, is um, you're constantly evolving and, you know, even just watching you on um, social media platforms and stepping into things like um, spoken word and poetry and, um, and I know that she probably sits up really late at night and her mind tinkers and then she puts pen to paper or she, in terms of writings or, um, you know, what she creates visually. Um, 
and I'm so intrigued even just the process in general with how you've evolved as an artist and what goes on in you know your your creative space but in terms of drawing all the knowledge and the storytellings out and then putting them into all these incredible mediums what's that like for you? I don't know I feel like I'm a high functioning introvert um, <laughs> and I daydream a lot um, so I could happily spend my days daydreaming and just you know pottering around doing stuff um, but I guess with you know, making something, painting something, writing something, that kind of helps me focus and gets my thoughts. You know, I often have a number of different ideas flowing around or someone's, you know, sometimes it's someone's work or it's a theatre performance or I had a discussion with someone that's reminded me. Sometimes it's a feeling. Um, it's very much, you know, I feel like it's just my life and what's happening around me and I... I guess as I've gotten older, I've gotten braver. My kids have grown up. Um, you know, I can now have more time to do me and follow my own dreams as well. Um, they can cook their own dinners now and <laughs> wash their own clothes um, and hopefully all drive soon. Um, yeah, so I've, I really feel like I, I'm just inspired by community, but I also like, I feel like what I want to share while I have a bit of a platform is that you can do anything you like and I hope that, you know, the Aboriginal girls and communities can see that and be brave enough to try something they haven't done. I know in some of our communities that are quite remote um, and cut off don't get enough exposure, especially if you're living in regional, uh, you know, New South Wales. So I think it's really important for them to show that and share that and I hope that through my work they do, but they see the good stuff. Yeah. They see the fun stuff. They see what's, you know, what's special about our culture, what's special about who we are as our people, what we believe in, you know, in our ways. Like, that's very important, and I hope I share that through my work, and I, yeah, try to concentrate on that in my work. Yeah. I want to... Um you know, I'm just reading through some of these points of conversation and we, we have touched on things around what you do draw from um, past experiences, either as individuals or certainly as a nation. Um, and I guess, how do they speak to our future um, through, you know, the art space and the storytelling space? Um, and I think it's really important to have those conversations about where to next. And certainly, um, I'm really... Um, I guess really encouraged by even just this small space um, diving into how important the next stages of truth telling are and that it certainly has a ripple effect on, on any work that we do, um, either as First Nations people or certainly um, collectively as both Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. And I think it's really important to keep bringing that to conversations and certainly more intimately in our regions because... I strongly feel that the impacts and the power, the power of our people um, start here in our, in our communities. And I think Lismore is one of the greatest examples of that, um, given you know, um, our most recent um, event with the floods and how we all collectively came together. And we have shown uh, you know, not just this particular region, but state, but certainly the nation, 
that um, when we need to come together, we can absolutely come together in that resilience that produces the outcomes far better than um, some of these key decision makers that we have in this nation. Again, she's getting on her soapbox. But I want to use um, that example around how there is nothing to say now that in particular in this region that we can keep supporting the truth-telling through our arts and creative spaces um, more, um, I guess, that connectedness and how we support that because it is so powerful, it is so impactful. And, you know, when I look out this window and I see that Norpa's across the road now as our neighbours, I am so excited about the incredible opportunities for uh, you know us to work together and keep bringing people into the spaces like we are tonight to support the incredible stories and information and what you have to give in these spaces to a wider audience. Um, I want to come back to um, the role of art and performance in making First Nations stories accessible now only um, not only to audiences but directly um, to our communities. Um, so in terms of um, the work that you're either doing or, or, or that is in the future, how do we make that more accessible? And you touched a bit on that about our communities being remote and so what they see is just snippets of what you do because it may not be accessible for them to participate in programs and workshops and initiatives because of that. So I guess how do you see um, you know, in, in the future we can make it more accessible for those wider audiences to engage? And just anyone jump in, I guess. Like, you know, more cultural gatherings on country. Like, I mean, and I've been out to a number of them in, um, on Gomorrah country over the years too and taking clay out and, yeah, like getting together, you know, at sacred sites and stuff and just doing the work and sitting around talking and just chilling out together basically. But more weaving workshops and all, you know. You know, I, I, I work alone a lot in my studio, so it's been really great for me to be able to jump in with Kylie and, the, you know, and the women and sit and weave with them at times too. Like, it's just been vital for me to have that as, as an artist who, who does work a lot in my studio alone, so I'm just really grateful for that. Just more, more of that. <laughs> I think more project-based, you know, Aboriginal Pacific projects too that reach out and bring community in. Um, I think they're really instrumental in exposure, but also getting real lived experience. You know, I think our mob, uh, they learn from doing and seeing. So being involved in projects, um, you know, I think Aboriginal people in the arts and creative in industries, other than artists, you know, we're in number like as theatre workers, as writers, you know, there's only, you know, a small number of us doing the work. Um, and I also, I was thinking about this the, uh, just while we were having that conversation. And I had this conversation almost 10 years ago and we're kind of still having this conversation now where, like, I was the first person in my family to finish Year 12 and I feel like a lot of us in our families are doing the firsts of something. Um, so we're still, you know, integrating into mainstream as well, whilst challenging to maintain who we are and being who we are culturally as well, because sometimes I think it's really uh, hard going into a mainstream environment as the one Aboriginal or the two Aboriginal person. It can be quite difficult, so places have to change as well. Um, their environments, you know, the, the workplaces have to change as well and how they engage with Aboriginal people. 
yeah, in the arts. I just want to applaud the work that NORP has been doing in producing local shows for local audiences. Um, and in part, what that, I think, brings is a sense of importance to our local stories. It acknowledges their importance and their significance. They can be nationally significant programs of work. They're made locally. I think that's something that a lot of like regional artists struggle against is this push often, I think, in the regard that's given to works that are produced smack bang in the metropolis and that somehow work that's produced outside of capital cities is lesser than, whereas I actually think it's some of the most important work can come from regions um, and, and from small communities and, and from non-professional productions as well. There's, there's something about the deep knowledge that comes from making work in your space, I think, and bringing it to audiences that I think can have a really deep understanding of the messages you're trying to bring. And so, Kirk, how do we make you more accessible for our communities? Accessible <laughs> <laughs> <And, laughs> for what? <laughs> That's a separate working project, no jokes. Um, accessible for our communities, so I'm just, you know, um, you know, I love that um, Kirk has this wonderful history with the Koorie Mail over the past few years where, um, you know, he'll say, oh, I've got this opportunity and we gladly mm. let him go. And so, you know, he'll go to Sydney and work on incredible productions with Bangara or whoever it is. And then he'll give us a call and say, hey, I'm coming back. I'm coming back home. And we open the doors and we welcome him back. Um, because we value what he has to bring um, to the Koori Mail, but also that storytelling process through, through his writing. Um, so I guess with a focus on the work that you've done already here in this community, what would you like to see to support your uh, passion and perhaps um, the ideas that you have being more accessible through the art space here in this region? It's interesting you say accessible and... Does that have to do with his daily life? No. Yeah. But listening in my brain, I think about investment. I think about um, leadership. I think about um, making real change and not gatekeeping. Um, I think we have to... And we're kind of moving with the times and we have to be flexible because... Storytelling is obviously in many different forms and I think the coming together, people coming together is a really powerful uh, thing. But, you know, things like investment and space, they're big things. Um, and also really when people say, oh, well, we want to be allies and we want to hear your truth and let's do truth-telling. Um, all right, are you ready for it? And it has to be, it has to be, uh, it has to be a durational process too, I think, as we work out how we make that happen in a um, equitable and meaningful way. Um, you know, the experiences I've had working 
and building something from nothing have always been the most exhausting but also the most rewarding things. And so there's two things, like you can be in a, comp a theatre company that has funding and investment, but then the other thing is about, oh, how do we tell stories um, and how do we generate that inspiration from our young people, from our old people to tell those stories and make those stories, things like that beautiful weaving book. And it's like, this, this, it has to come from an exchange and we also have to understand that truth Wesley Enoch says this actually, this thing about truth, that it's, um, there's the personal truth, there's the communal truth, and then there's the forensic truth. And we're all doing the dance between those three things. And I just really hope that people can, people in power can really just step aside and say, yeah, come in. Um, I wanted to come back to, uh, you know, Penny, you'd mentioned um, just a while ago about um, in that process um, um, through your work, oftentimes you'll connect with each other, yourself and Kylie, and you, um, you know, just that connectedness that artists have with each other when they're working even on their own personal projects. And so I wanted to talk about, you know, the personal, the collective, the cultural sources of your work as artists, and I guess then how you then gather and shape and then form those stories um, in your practice and how important that is to have those sources of um, support and resources. And, you know, Kylie, you talk about, um, you know, through the practice of weaving and how that's not just about the individual in that space, that's about the many, many women who have practised down the line and how, you know, even myself, when I find time to do it, you, you are instantaneously transported into this place and time that you didn't even know you could go to as you are, are weaving each thread because you're actually, um, I feel, um, ancestrally... Um, connected in that moment to those that have come before you that have done that practice. And so that's the strength when you're doing that. But then there is absolutely strength in the connectedness of artists as a collective when you're working on your own individual work. Um, so what does that look like um, for you or what has that looked like for you as artists um, over the years? And what has it meant, I guess, ultimately, when you're producing that work? Um, to go to a weaving group, it's about seeing the people and connecting with the women, and, yeah, and the, the, the actual weaving is sort of secondary to that, but then it becomes really important, like what you're saying, any sort of repetitive cultural activity like that, it is just so reinforcing and yeah it's connecting with our ancestors it just reminds me of being out on country and being with a group of women and we'd made digging sticks and went to this location where our ancestors had gone for like thousands of years out at Narran Lakes and digging for um native arrowroot which they used for like making bread with as a starch and just that reiterative process of doing that into the ground with a group of women that, you know, it was just so, this, the most powerful thing. And from that actual occasion, like a whole body of work sprung out for me over um, like, like a bit down the track. It just sort of, 
Yeah, um, it's, it's as Kylie was saying for me as an artist, like it's just everything in my life is what the practice is about. It's sort of the practice manifests what happens in my life on all sorts of different levels. Everybody I meet, just everything that I read, know, see, hear, smell, think, it comes out in some way through working in a, in a sort of iterative way with a particular material, which for me is clay. And I often understand what the work is after I've produced it on a, a, a lot more. Yeah, it, it's, I don't know. I'm not articulating myself very well tonight. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think too, like weaving is just, it feels like home. You just, you know, you can really let your heart, your guard down you can just, you know, just be with a group of women, joke, laugh, um, and it just feels like you're in a really safe, comfortable space. When there's, and you like it, like time is lost, um, you know, and worry is gone, and yeah, and it just feels really lovely, and it's good to, I think, uh, in a society where we screen connect a lot, um, it's become ever so more important to connect in person and to have real-life conversations other than texting or, you know, inboxing. Um, so it's really important to bring kids up in that, in that way now because, you know, I have three children that grow up, are still growing up on screens and, you know, they, they'll text us occasionally too when they want something and, you know, they're in the other room and I'm like, <laughs> Really? yelling from the room like but you know I think it's so those you know ancient cultural practice is just as more important so it's and it's also more important to share because there's a lot of debriefing a lot of sharing you know person in, in the spaces we talk about what's going on in our lives or you know who's annoying us who's stressing it out, us out I talk a lot about you Ash um oh. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, just, you know, what's happening for us. So it's, you know, and just that personal, you know, sharing your story with somebody else. Because sometimes some of the women that we, you know, have in a group are in, you know, really tricky situations or don't have that respite or, you know, need another female ear to talk to. So it's, you know, there's all those other benefits as well. And, it you know, it just brings me peace, you know, makes me motivated, keeps me going. Um, and it's, you know, and just, I think, to being with mob, like, there's a different, you know, state that you're in. I don't know how you describe that. You know, it's just, you know, some spaces and places you can be that way, but some places and spaces you can't. Um, and it just feels just, yeah, it just feels natural and normal. And, you know, when you work, you, you know, Sometimes your guard has to go up or your, yeah, your persona changes, just like, you know, everybody, when you leave your house, I suppose, every day. That's what it feels like, yeah. And um, I wonder in terms of the research space um, and what's your experience been around, um, you know, those, um, the, the, the cultural sources in the work that you do and what does that mean, um, I guess, for your connectedness, uh, you know, to community as well? Mm. I mean, I, I spoke before about my own decolonising um, process that I'm experiencing. How do, you do that? How do I do it? 
Well, it goes into that kind of idea of being a researcher. A researcher is to look really closely and reflect upon, you know, the subject of... And, and there's no way to pull myself out of that relationship with uh, the storytellers because I'm in there as much as they are. It's a relational... The interview and the story sharing is a relational practice. And a lot of the work that I've done with the audio walks, the geolocated walks, I've, I've always tried to not, not centralise one voice. Like the, I did a really big audio walk out at Nimbin to look at how Nimbin became countercultural capital and you know, what happened in that community. And there was such a broad range of perspectives and versions of the truth that it was not, you know, discernible what the truth was. So the closest to truth that I could come to would be to give many voices an opportunity to create something which could be seen to be a possible version of the truth and not to claim, you know, this is the history. And I think that's actually a great learning that, you know, we could all in Australia take, that there is not a history. There are many histories, there are many perspectives. And so trying to, you know, decentralise myself from that role that journalists and particularly documentary makers have claimed as a mark of professionalism forever is... Um, it's, it's an important step to be taking, I think, to, you know, I, I, I feel, you know, greatly honoured to have an opportunity to participate in a conversation here tonight, coming in as a non-Indigenous person, but someone who works, you know, really intently on finding stories about place. Because one of my key goals is to enhance our place literacies so that we can understand the range of experiences of place that, are, that, are, that exist and the multiplicity of it all. So I, th I think that's the thing that really drives me is just in, in one part trying to, to curate and, and nurture but at the same time step aside um, which is a really tricky thing. It's really tricky and I think it gets a lot into like consulting and continually, you know, going back to the storytellers and making sure that they're happy with how their stories are coming forward as they've been, you know, shaped into various media um, and to, to a degree to fit into, I think, the, what, what a contemporary audience would think of as a story and have a sense of a story's shape. But yeah, it's not easy and it's a journey and like I'm, I'm all for learning more about this journey that I'm on. And like I said, it's one of the most rewarding aspects of the work that I've done in, over the last, you know, particularly in the last sort of five to ten years. Um, that's one of the things that I'm kind of enjoying in a sometimes uncomfortable way the most. Yeah. Thank you. I really love that you've brought all of that out because it certainly um, resonates with one of the key points that um, 
uh, we were going to touch on tonight around um, as, as a First Nations um, you know, artist or creative, what does um, the Indigenous um, communities or audiences take away from their work? But certainly, what does your work as First Nations artists and creatives mean for a non-Indigenous person? And I think we've just answered that question around that intent to genuinely connect with those stories and to reflect on how that's being translated in the art space and to take, continue to take those deep dives into those stories, no matter how long it takes, um, so that we can really have a true understanding around that truth-telling process and for it to be genuine and not just saying, well, I'm here to learn about truth-telling, but what does it mean to take that deep dive? Um, and certainly what our people take away from um, our First Nations artists and creatives. I really like, Kylie, what you mentioned about um, that cultural safety and that culturally safe space and feeling safe in those spaces while they're doing the work, but also what that means, and you touched on that too, um, Penny, around your identity. So stepping into culturally safe spaces, feeling safe to explore any mediums of storytelling through the arts, and then how that impacts who we are and our identities as First Nations people. And I've got a four-year-old boy and I always think about everything that I do every day. And, you know, look, I dabble as a creative, not as much as I'd like to. But sometimes when I see him looking at things visually, he's already interpreting what that means for him or the storytelling. You know, the other day he narrated the story of colonisation to my partner and he did the same thing to my sister, Rani and their jaws dropped because he told it in his own way. And he added little components of um, the Ninja Turtles being the, the heroes along with the warriors. And, you know, and then he stopped and paused and he said, what's that word again, mum? And it was colonisation. Um, and, you know, and referring to our men as the warriors, but he really saw himself in that because he, it was about his identity, but it was also about the things that he truly delights in and how he then interprets that in his own way and that is so important. This is a young person and so I have so much respect and admiration for the work that our First Nations artists do for that process and what that means for the history and the legacy of storytelling and histories um, uh, in, our, in our arts and creative spaces. I want to finish up um, shortly. I know we started a bit, um, a bit late so I'm trying to track time for some questions at the end. But I, I wanted to talk about, um, I guess, in terms of arts um, and, and performance uh, forms and in the context of the production of flow. And certainly I want to throw this to you, Kirk, because of your involvement in this so far around how this supports communities to keep our stories and our oral histories living. And that last part around oral histories and languages and how productions are, are bringing in, certainly in our Bundjalung regions now, the revitalisation of language and just how amazing it is to either read descriptions of pieces of work that have language, you know, whether it is Bundjalung, whether it is from people who are, you know, from different country, um, but certainly um, in the platform of performance. And you've had I would say a wealth of experience in that with your association with Bangara and other, you know, productions that you've had. But what do you feel that's kind of meant for this region as part of that revitalisation of language and now to have it um, 
I guess, being received by the community in these incredible ways, like productions, like Flow? Um, I think what it does for us as people, when we hear those stories or we hear that language, is that we see ourselves and if we can't see it, we can't be it, in a way. And especially when you're thinking about young people, but in terms of uh, the storytelling being a platform for language, and they talk about, oh, these languages, they're dying languages, or someone mentioned what talked about it once around these sleeping languages, and I did a project last year where I had to sing in Yugambeh language, never spoken in my life, and it was... The, it was I could not learn the words. Like I had to sing, I had to sing the words, and I had to learn the song of the words. And so that was a really incredible experience, like for me to you connect. Were <laughs> <laughs> you were going to say the same thing, I tell you. And so it was a very powerful. Like it wasn't even about being at Sydney Theatre Company, being in a main stage show, touring for festivals. It was. It was something that I got to experience because of the role that I was in. And that's a difficult thing when you haven't grown up with culture or, you know, language speakers in your family. And so it's a really important thing. There's something about making those shapes that kind of does something primal or does something... It made me think about how some of the languages are different depending on where they're situated geographically. Like, are you eating seafood? Are you eating hard meats? Are you eating lots of vegetables? That mm. It shapes the language and it shapes the sound. I think it does. But, um, yeah, it, I think it's, it's important for us to see ourselves yeah. and to remember that we're still here. And when we speak those words or sing those words into existence or into the space, there's something that happens. Um, incredible uh, response and incredible work that you do. Um, and I'm sure there's some audio somewhere of that Yugambeh language. <laughs> I've got it written down and I've got recordings on my phone, but... Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I want to <laughs> give the opportunity, and I mean, look, this is always, you know, the, the to and fro of facilitating panel conversations is that obviously... You know, we want there to be the, this overarching theme of conversation, which is really important, and certainly in the context of the work that Norpa has been doing with the Flow production. Um, but I, I, I also just want to maybe just give a minute um, to each of our panelists um, to, I guess, share something about either where to next or what you would, uh, you know, really like to see um, happen in this region um, to support. Um, you know, storytelling um, and perspectives of, um, you know, culture and place and belonging and identity. Um, and it may be projects that you're working on personally that you'd like to share, but just really briefly before we throw to some questions and we close out the night. And anybody can jump in, otherwise I'll start picking, picking, picking you out. <laughs> I just feel like um, having the education system align more with the creative arts industry, you know, sharing our kids, to our kids, the kind of jobs that are in this amazing creative industry. 
especially our gory kids. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, 100%. You know, my, one of my youngest boys in year 12 at Dismore High, and, you know, he couldn't do Aboriginal studies. They didn't run it because, yeah, I don't know why they didn't run it. But, you know, I'd like to see it in schools a lot more. Yeah. I, I think keeping space for conversation and maybe placing it within a, a, a creative context. I quite liked what, the, what Norford did with the Makers Hub this year. And I think we could like branch out from that being about the creative industries and, and creative makers to have a, a broader community hub in that kind of way, which encouraged um, creativity and access to storytelling and, and oh, just a place to come and to, I mean, maybe that's something we'll find here at the Koori Mail with their, their hub. I was just going to say, would you like to see more of these panel nights here in, in our space? But yes, yeah, certainly, I, um, and um, before um, getting into Kirk's response, um, is really reiterating why we've chosen to create the space as it is right here, right now, and that this won't change. Because this is about taking everything that happened out there during the flood recovery and how important it was to um, give space to community um, for healing processes, um, you know, for storytelling, you know, over there in the kitchen every morning with that cup of tea with the same group of, you know, old fellas and mob and, mm -hmm. you know, and that connectedness with Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, bringing all of that that happened out there and bringing it into this space and making sure that... Thank you, yeah. Um, making sure that this now... Um, carries on that opportunity for that exact reason. So thank you. Yeah. I really agree with what Kylie said about the schools. So having having the young people kind of having experiences where they can feel confident and they can be exposed to things, um, and also the social element that happens when we just come together and we're not in our phones or we're not going. I'm just stressed. I'm too stressed from working or whatever. Like finding it's a concern. I think when you're craving to be alone. <laughs> like, how do you flip that and, and connect with people? And I think with connecting with people, we get to have the conversations, like the Coffee Friday thing that was happening. Yeah. I went to a few of them, but it was so wonderful just to... There was no agenda. We were just sitting there going, well, what are you doing? What's happening for the blah, blah thing? Or what's... Oh, we should do this, but just to connect... We're really excited that that little space over there down the bottom will be turned into a little coffee bar as well. Um, and the whole first floor of this building will be created as a completely separate social enterprise entity to the Koori Mail as a proprietary limited business. So while the Koori Mail will oversee um, the new entity, it'll be completely separate and really focus on making sure we provide that grassroots support to our communities through uh, any initiatives. And it's not just about providing culturally safe spaces for our own people to step in here. I am absolutely passionate and will always be about providing culturally safe spaces for non-Indigenous people to come into uh, our families and our communities and our buildings and our infrastructure so that when you walk in here and you feel and you resonate with those conversations, how you walk out is going to make a difference in how you receive things the next day or the work that you do or continuing in that truth-telling and storytelling with us 
not just about us, but with us. Um, I want to acknowledge um, our panellists um, and thank you for joining us in conversation tonight. I'm running on about three hours sleep, so um, I hope I've done, I guess, um, you justice in the information that you wanted to bring to tonight's session and certainly for NOPA as well um, in having this here in this space. Um, I want to thank you all and please thank us, thank them. Uh, um, and certainly, um, you know, certainly follow and like and um, subscribe and um, so that we can have that access to the amazing people that are in our communities um, and certainly follow the, their journeys and engage where possible and keep receiving the beauty um, of what they bring to our arts and performing arts sectors um, here in the Northern Rivers. I want to um, thank the partners. Um, the Flow Conversation Series is presented by NORPA, but it is in partnership with the Southern Cross University and it is supported by the Query Mail. And we also want to thank um, key Flow partners, the New South Wales Reconstruction Authority, the Tony Foundation, the Lismore City Council, the Clarence Valley Council, and Arts on Tour for supporting NORPA to make Flow happen and certainly, again, pay tribute to our incredible creatives, Mitch and Blake, um, who have left. But yes, let's give them a round of applause. And the entire you know, production team and the team at NORPA, um, you know, their staff, their board, people that have been part of the really early stages um, of the production and I think it's a really great way to package it up in a way where it becomes about the performance but it also becomes about the conversation and more now than ever we need to keep having conversation so if anybody has any ideas how we do that in this space certainly please come and see me and I'll happily support that and I'm really honoured and privileged to support this tonight so thank you. Um, I want to throw to the audience maybe just for a few minutes. Um, we've probably got five minutes for a conversation. Um, if anybody has any questions, don't be shame. And if you just want to, uh, do you want microphones? Um, no, just yet. Yeah, a good voice, I reckon. <laughs> this one's for Kat. How do you go about incorporating non-Indigenous performers in Indigenous works? Because I'm very curious about like, what the process would be to do that and, yeah, how to do that respectfully or if that's not a respectful it depends on the context. I'm currently uh, co-creating with Jade Dewi Tiastungal, who's also the director of Flow. We were working with five dancers. One of them is a, um, a white Australian male, uh, and the others are uh, of Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander background. And we were just happy to have the bodies in the room. Honestly, and I, it was in the back of my mind. I was thinking about what does this say? Like, obviously, you see something and that speaks, you know, depending on what is happening. Um, and it wasn't such a giant problem, but it can be. You know, if you've, if you've applied for funding and said that you wanted to do a story that is about two Aboriginal families and, you know, half of them aren't even Aboriginal, that's a problem. Um, but I'm, you know, that's been my experience where if, this, if the project is primarily focused on a, a story that is of a particular place, 
we are creating a story that has, uh, you know, our, our li- we bring our lineage to the room. You know, Jade and I have white mothers, and so that is actually a, a big part of our storytelling as uh, brown-bodied people and the stories that we want to tell. So it depends on the context, I reckon. Or even just a comment, How, how's everybody feeling after today? Or even just a, another round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, thank you again for um, sharing in the space, um, sharing in the time, sharing in the conversation. And, um, yeah, and I think if um, that... That connectedness is is so important, um, again, in whatever sector of work that we do, but um, how strong and important it is um, to generate that connectedness through storytelling so that when we hear it, when we see it, when we see it in ourselves, if it resonates with our own personal journeys, um, we can't undo it. And the silver lining in that is that it keeps prompting us um, to continue on in that truth-telling and storytelling journey that's really important, uh, especially for the next generations that are coming through. So um, really proud um, to have this event uh, supported by the Kurimao and thank you all for coming into our space and look forward to seeing you again soon, so thank you.